This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We've got a lot of material to cover this week. This week we're learning about telling dynamic stories. And I want to pray together, and then we'll start out with a story. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this time we have together tonight. Thank you for the folks who are here, for the desire that they have to be used by you. I pray that you would use our time together tonight to make us more effective servants for you. Help us in this area specifically of storytelling to grow in our ability, uh, to grow in our passion to be used by you, uh, to grow in our um, understanding of how we can rightly use this as a means of sharing your word, your truth. Uh, so guide us in that. Help us to be led by your spirit, even as we consider many practical things. May it all be in obedience to you and your leading and the principles of your word. Uh, we love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This week, instead of sharing a story in my own words, I want to read a story straight from the Bible. Because uh, we're going to be talking about telling dynamic stories, and I want to read this story to show you clearly how masterfully Jesus told a dynamic story. Um, it's only 181 words in our English Bible. But as I read this story, I want you to think about what is it that makes this story so dynamic? What is it that draws you in as you hear this story? What is it that makes you see it? And what is it that makes you that keeps you engaged uh, throughout that story? And we're going to be drawing some specific lessons from the way that Jesus tells this story throughout the lesson. Um, if you want to, you can turn to Luke chapter 10. It's there. Or it's a familiar story. You can just listen as I read from Scripture. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Now, like I said, this is a familiar story. Um, many of you could probably quote parts of this story from memory, just from having heard it so many times. But I hope you can step back enough to realize the mastery of this story. It really is genius. Jesus puts us there. And through this short story, he powerfully causes us to consider that question, which one of the three was a neighbor? We see it all, we're, we're drawn in, and we're left asking really a more personal question. What sort of neighbor am I? 
Jesus, in just a very short time, told a story uh, that is really powerful, and there's a reason that it has lasted so long and so that it's so well known and that it's referred to so often. So tonight I want to consider a few aspects of what, is, what makes a dynamic story, a story that grabs us, a story that keeps us engaged. And like I said, we'll notice some aspects of that story in Luke 10 uh, that we can learn from, we can draw from as well. So first of all, what is it that makes a story dynamic? Well, first it's the characters. This ties right in with what we talked about last time. We talked about telling character central stories. And the thing that will make your story most dynamic, most engaging, is people. Before you think about any other part of the story being dynamic, you need to think about sharing the story in a way that makes the people dynamic. So what is it that makes a character dynamic? How can you give the hearers, how can you give me dynamic characters in your story? Um, what is it that makes a person interesting in real life? Well, it's complexity. So, if I asked you to tell me about yourself, you probably wouldn't just use one word to describe yourself. Um, all of us know that we can't sum up who we are in one word or one sentence. If we're really going to share who we are, it's going to take a lot to really explain what, what is it that makes me tick? What is it that makes me unique? What is it that sets me apart from other people? Uh, there's complexity to that. That is what makes people interesting. And so if you're going to have interesting characters in a story, they need to be complex. They can't be one-dimensional. Um, of course, we do see this in Jesus' story in Luke 10. Uh, and it's amazing to me that even in such a short story, we see some, some complexity in the characters that are here. So, of course, you've got the Samaritan. Uh, the Jewish audience listening to Jesus' story would have expected a Samaritan to be a scoundrel. They would expect him to be the bad guy in the story. And here's Jesus taking the one who they're expecting to be um, the one who would care the least about this man, and Jesus makes him the hero. And so there's how he appears on the outside, what people would expect of him, and then how he behaves in real life. There's complexity there. You've also got the Levite. It's always been interesting to me that you've, you have the priest. He sees the man. He walks right by. The Levite comes up, and it says that he came and he looked on him. He was more careful. He paid more attention than the priest did, but he ended up passing by as well. So there's conflict going on you can sense in this Levite. He thinks about helping him, and then he decides, no, no, I can't be bothered with this. I've got to keep going. And we can imagine reasons that he might have done that, but uh, you've got these dynamic people presenting more than one side. Um, they're not just one note. They're not one-dimensional. We've got an unexpected hero, and we've got a conflicted character, both represented in this very short, familiar story. Now, remember last week we talked about the fact that flawed people are more interesting than apparently perfect people. Now, you might think, 
that's not fair, because what about Jesus? Well, the only truly perfect person ever is the most interesting person ever. That's true. But think about the fact that Jesus certainly didn't have flaws, but he was certainly a multi-dimensional character. There was complexity to the person of Jesus Christ. He never sinned. He never messed up. He was never conflicted in the sense of being double-minded. But the picture we get of him is definitely complex. So we have him in the Gospels clearing the temple, whip in hand, forcefully driving out the money changers. We also have him gently receiving children, admonishing the disciples to always allow the children to come to him. We have him rebuking Simon Peter and saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. We also have him weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. He didn't have any flaws, but he sure wasn't boring. So if you're going to have dynamic characters, if you're going to have characters that are interesting, that are going to draw me in, um, be careful about making them too vanilla, too one note. Uh, Recognize that it is the complexity of people that makes people interesting, and the same is true with our stories. Another way to make the people in your story more dynamic is to use dialogue. Uh, And we see this also in the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, technically, you could argue it's not dialogue because... Um, There's only one person talking, but there is a conversation going on here. The Samaritan uh, tells the innkeeper, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. So dialogue can be really powerful to make a story come alive. Uh, When I tell stories about my kids, I love to use the specific words that they said. Um, Part of that's because they say such cute stuff. But it's always better if I share specific words. So, for example, um, many of you know that I often do videos for Kids for Truth that will introduce them to the subject of what they're learning that week. And so the other week they're learning about uh, God's omnipotence. And so I talked about the fact that sometimes we try to do things and we can't. And in the video that I did for the kids, I had a box, and I pretended in the video that I was trying to lift the box and I couldn't do it. And then I talked about the fact that Sometimes we can't do things, but there's never anything that God can't do. God can do whatever he wants. He's all-powerful. That was the point of it. Well, I don't expect my three-year-old to always understand what's going on. Um, But a few days later, out of the blue, he asked me, did you move the box or did God move the box? (laughs) At first, I had no idea what he was talking about. And then I realized, oh, okay, he's talking about the video. He might not have quite gotten exactly what I was talking about there. Um, But being able to give you an exact quote, I took that one down because I was like, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. Being able to give you an exact quote is better than just telling you. And then Ezra asked me if I moved the box or if God did it. It's better when you can give the exact words. Uh, That's true as well often with historical stories. Um, It's really cool if you can share the actual words of what somebody said in history. It it makes it come alive because you realize, sorry? It's authentic. Right. This is actually an expression of what they were thinking. Um, Now, you don't want to read or quote a big, long passage. That can get tedious. Um, But little quotes can be good. And by the way, kind of off topic, but um, when you share a quote, sharing it in story form always makes it better. 
So if you can give a little bit of the, the back story to the quote, it always makes it more powerful than just giving a quote. All right? But um, think about using dialogue, uh, quoting what people actually said. That, that can be a great way to bring characters to life as well. You want to let me see the characters in the story. Now, last time we talked about the fact that when you introduce characters, you want to let me get to know them by what they say and do more than what they look like. And so um, it's not all about physical description, but I'm kind of going to contradict myself just a little bit and say that sometimes a little bit of physical description can make your characters come to life. All right, You don't want to lean on that to let me get to know who they are. But little things can sometimes be really helpful here. So think about, again, the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus does this really well. He says that the man was stripped of his raiment, wounded, and half dead. You see him. You see what's happened. You see him lying on the side of the road there. The priest. Jesus told us he's a priest. That's all it took because anyone familiar... Uh, with priestly garments, as Jesus' hearers would have been, can see him. Same with the Levite. We might not necessarily immediately be able to think of the white robes that the Levites would wear, but Jesus' hearers knew. As soon as he gives their occupation, they can see them in the story. The Samaritan, all we get is that he has an animal with him. But even that helps us, in our minds, set him apart from the other characters. And whenever you think of the Good Samaritan, you think of him with a donkey or whatever beside him. And so Jesus gives these little things that help these characters come to life, help us to see them in the story. He doesn't give a full description of their appearance. He doesn't go into great detail. Um, but these little things help us to see and help these characters be more vibrant. So sometimes the story itself will tell you what you ought to describe. So if you're telling the story of Zacchaeus, it's kind of important to talk about the fact that he's short. Okay. So that's going to be a physical descriptor that you want to share. Um, it might be important to share something about what somebody's wearing. So if you're talking about the story of Joseph, bringing attention to the coat of many colors and what that represents can be really helpful in that story. Um, maybe in your stories it might help for your hearers to know that somebody's wearing an expensive suit or a pair of old tennis shoes or a red scarf. It might be something that gives meaning in a story other times, though, the story might not demand it. People might not have to know that detail, but our brains want something to latch onto with, with people, all right, to set them apart. So if someone in your story is a major character, I as a hearer want something, anything to hang my hat on that sets that person apart from other characters. You see this with movies all the time. So the main character will, in a certain scene, um, maybe they'll wear a distinctive hat or a distinctive hairstyle or a, uh, a shirt that sets them apart from other people. And so as you're watching the movie, you can follow that person through that scene and you know the whole time, this is the person I'm focused on. And they'll do that all the time in, in, in movies to set that person aside. Well, sometimes it's helpful to do the same thing with stories. And to give you that little thing that as you imagine the, picture, uh, imagine the story in your mind, you've got this person set apart that way. So don't go crazy with it. 
But um, that's something to think about. Should I put some physical descriptors in there just to make this person a little more vibrant? Now, that's, like I said, going to be the most important thing, bringing your characters to life, making them dynamic. That's what's going to make a story dynamic. That's what's going to draw people in more than anything else. But we do need to talk about some other things. So um, let's talk about setting. People are super important. They are really what's going to make the story dynamic, but every story happens in a physical setting. Um, and setting is important. Jesus, in the story of the Good Samaritan, gave the story a setting. Very quickly, but he said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Setting. That's it. But you've got the setting. Now, you might say that's just an unimportant detail. We don't really need that for the story. But imagine if he left that part out and just said, a certain man fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. What is your brain immediately asking? Well, we already know, but if he didn't say that, we'd be asking, okay, where is he? Because our brain has to put him somewhere. We can't just put him in a void and say, here's the action happening. It doesn't matter where everything else is. Your brain has to paint a picture of the setting. So we're wondering, is this guy in the middle of a city? Is he in a field? Is he on board a boat? Where is this happening? Even if a storyteller doesn't give you a setting, your brain is going to demand one. We don't like a story without a setting because our brains don't like people floating around in space in action, okay? So if you don't get a setting, the, if you don't give a setting, your hearers are going to create one in their minds. And actually, instead of being a help to the story, that's going to be a distraction. Because you jump right into the action, and they're trying to figure out where this is going on while you continue on with the action. So painting the setting can actually help keep the attention on the characters by saying, all right, this is the setting. We've got that out of the way. Now here's what's happening. But how do we do that? How do we talk about setting? All right. How would you describe this scene that I've got up on the board here? All right. Well, we've got a blue sky. We've got fluffy white clouds. We've got tall mountains with snow, snow-capped mountains. Um, we've got some kind of evergreen trees that are kind of coming from the, the mountains out towards us. There's a big field with yellow flowers. There are some dead stumps. It looks like it's kind of rocky. Sometimes that's how we, we do setting. We make a laundry list of the stuff that describes the setting. Um, that is not effective and it's not helpful, all right? So what do you need to do to paint, this, paint a picture of the setting? Um, you as a storyteller are going to have a picture of the setting in your mind. And so ask yourself, what sticks out to me most about this? You can even do an exercise if, if you need to. Close your eyes, see it in your mind, and, and ask yourself some questions. All right? If I throw my eyes out of focus in my mind, what do I see? What, light, colors, what's going on with that? What sticks out to me about that? 
If I look around in the distance, what do I see? What do I see at my feet? And now look at that list of things and say, what is most evocative of that seed? What is most uh, important to put you there? And pick one or maybe two things to, to point out, to talk about. So in this, in this case, depending on what your story is, what you're talking about, you could just say, uh, the, the flowers in the meadow swayed gently in the breeze, or something like that, all right? Or the snow-capped mountains towered in the background. Just point out one detail, and that's probably plenty. The setting's been set, that's good enough. They don't have to see all of this in their minds, but you've given them enough to, to, to connect with, um, to give them a framework to, to build on. But think about with that setting. What is it about that setting that supports your story? Um, is there something in your story that talking about the fact that there were mountains towering in the background would, would give strength, would, would connect with the theme of your story? Or would the meadow of flowers connect with the theme of your story? Um, again, we see this with, with stories, we see this with movies. Sometimes the setting will mirror the action. Other times it'll be in contrast with the action. So you'll have a scene where it's raining. A lot of times you'll have a scene where it's raining, and what is the character doing? They're crying. All right, sorrow. All right, so they're weeping in the rain, or they're weeping as it rains outside, okay? Other times you've got it raining, and it's like the high point, the happiest moment. And they're, they're joyful, they're laughing, this is wonderful, all right, in contrast with the setting. So often, if you're going to draw attention to something in the setting, think about something that either mirrors the action or is in direct contrast with the action. And that will give the brain of your hearers something to, to paint as the setting, but it will also um, help their attention be drawn to what really matters at the same time. Um, it is enough, though, just to draw their attention to one or two details. And that's because of the power of imagination. I, I love this. This is one of my favorite things about stories. And when I talk about the power of imagination here, I'm not talking about the power of the imagination of the storyteller. That's important. That's great. I'm talking about the power of the imagination of the hearer. It kills me when people talk about how they don't have a good imagination. There's no human that's ever been born that didn't have a, an amazing imagination, all right? Our brains can do incredible things with imagining. Now think about this. I mentioned that this, the, in the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus gave us a setting. But all that he said was, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. Have any of you ever actually been on a road between Jerusalem and Jericho? All right, so you don't get to be a part of this next exercise. <laughs> All right. But when, I, when you read that story, or even when I told that story earlier, you see a lot more than that, don't you? You see a lot more than just what Jesus describes. Um, so what do you see? All right, 
You, in the story of the Good Samaritan, the setting at the beginning of the story, what do you see? What does it look like? Alright, so there are cliffs. How many of you see cliffs? Okay. Alright, how many of you see a dirt road? How many of you see a, um, a stone road made according to the Roman, the Roman style? How many of you see trees? There's a forest area involved. How many of you see dry desert? All right. You don't all agree, right? And if we were able to perfectly paint a picture of what each of you sees in that story and put them all next to each other, none of them would match because of your imagination. You're not seeing something that's actually there. You're not seeing something that you've actually seen. Your brain is painting a picture saying, the man went from Jerusalem to Jericho. Here's what it looked like. You don't have to try. You don't have to work at it. Your brain just does it. That's the power of your imagination. The same is true when you're telling a story with the people who are hearing. Their brain is going to be working to paint that picture. You give them a little piece, and their brain is going to build an entire image from that one little piece you gave them as a framework for the setting. So, this is something to take advantage of, all right? The imagination of your hearers is a powerful thing. And the picture in your mind and the picture in your listener's mind is never going to be quite the same, and that's okay. Their imagination will give them the power to use just a few descriptors about those characters and the setting and paint a whole moving picture in their mind that will play out as you tell the story. So you think more about the story of the Good Samaritan. And as we move on in the story, there's this man, there's these thieves, there's a priest, there's a Levite, there's a Samaritan, there's a, a, a host at an inn. And our brains are filling in those things. They're giving these people faces. They're giving them clothes. They're giving us some kind of picture of what this inn looks like. All of those things are being painted in our minds without us even trying. And so, don't think that you have to describe every detail in order for people to have a vibrant image in their minds of that story. Just give them little pieces, and that's enough. Their imagination will fill in the rest. That said, though, a truly powerful story is something that is seen and not just heard. So that's the importance of giving attention to a dynamic story. What are the things that I can give them about a character and about a setting? And we'll talk about some other things as well to, um, to help them paint this picture and see it in their minds. So the power of imagination. Uh, take advantage of that in all of the story, but specifically as you think about that setting. Next, sweat the small stuff. All right, details matter. Um, we all get that. So if you went to the restaurant and the menu said that the meal you wanted to order was 12-ish dollars, <laughs> that would be obnoxious, right? Um, perhaps a little bit more seriously, if you went to the doctor and he said, you're more or less healthy, that would be concerning, <laughs> all right? I want details, okay? I don't like this... this 
uh, this ambiguity, okay? Too much ambiguity with a story can also be maddening. And so, don't give them all the details. Nobody wants all the details. But think about some key details that you can share that will help this story be vibrant, help it to be dynamic. So what is it, um, as we talk about dynamic details, what, what do we mean? What, what could that look like? Well, think about, again, the story of the Good Samaritan. Lots of details that are not shared, but there are details that are given at key points in the story. So when the Samaritan comes to the man, it says that he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast. That's specific, much more specific than other parts of the story. But there's a reason that we get more detail there. Why? It draws our attention to that point in the story because that point in the story is important. It also tells us something about the Samaritan. It tells us that he wasn't just taking this guy and being like, ah, okay. I can't just leave this almost dead guy on the side of the road. I'll take him somewhere where he can get the care that he needs. It tells us that the Samaritan truly gave time and attention to giving the man the care that he needed. That's what compassion led him to do. Not to say, well, I guess I better do something about this. But he comes, he binds up his wounds, he pours oil and wine in to cleanse and to help heal he puts him on his animal and gently carries him to the end. And so there's attention given to those details because they matter. It helps the story come to life. Yes. Gives insight to his character. Right. It helps the story come to life, but it also gives us insight into who he is and what's going on. Uh, then, as he leaves the man at the end, we see him taking out two pence. Very specific. Again, a vibrant detail. Now we say two pence. I don't know what that, how much that is. All right. According to what I understand, it was two days' wages. But that's hard again for us to really equate to our time. But the people in his time would have known how much that is. They would have seen those pennies in his hand. He, they would have seen them pressing them into the hand of the innkeeper. All right. Again, a specific detail, and the detail again draws us to an important point. The Samaritan is not just investing time and care, he's also investing money. His compassion leads him to invest even in this way, in this man that he doesn't know. So, these specific details are given that draw, draw us into the story and help us see it more vividly, but they also draw our attention to what really matters in the story. Sometimes describing a single item or spending time describing in detail the events of a single moment can serve to make a story come alive. Sorry, Ethan. No, 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 it's my fault. Um, spending, so describing a single item or describing in detail the events of a single moment can serve to make that story come alive and turn the attention of the hearers to what's truly important. So think about the details in the story. Not just that will be interesting, but that will make you really think about what's going on. I gave the example um, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, when we talked about using historical stories. And I talked about the story 
um, of the guy who, uh, who removed another man's appendix in a submarine during World War II. And I talked about the fact that in that story, I, I talked about some of the tools that they use. They, they got some spoons from the galley and used those to hold the wound open. Um, they got a tea strainer and some gauze, and that served as the anesthesia mask. And the scalpel didn't have a handle, so they had to, like, jerry-rig a handle onto it. Why would it matter to draw attention to those details? What's showing you, this guy not only didn't really know what he was doing, but also didn't have the tools that he needed. It really draws you in to realize how crazy this was that he attempted and that he successfully removed this guy's appendix. Um, if you want to hear more of that story, I can share more of it later. All right. Um, but the guy survived, in case you were wondering about that. So think about those details that aren't just fun, but that really make you put you there in the, the midst of the action, the things about that story you want to draw attention to. All right. Also, another detail, another small thing maybe that you want to give attention to is the, your language. Um, pay attention to the words you use. Now, that doesn't mean that you should tell a story from a manuscript. All right, later on we're going to be talking about specific settings in which you can use stories, how you can use them to engage other people. Most of those settings, you're not going to have a manuscript in front of you to read your story from. So you aren't going to have been able to cho choose each of your words beforehand. All right? But if you give some attention to what words you use, that, that again helps the story come to life, and it helps the details be a help and not a distraction. So, use favor in your story action verbs. All right, in the story of the Good Samaritan, the man fell among thieves. The thieves stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed. The Samaritan bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast. So, prefer, prefer active over passive verbs. You might say, this is not a grammar class. I don't want grammar, okay? All right. This is one of those cardinal rules of grammar and writing, though. Prefer active voice over passive voice, okay? Uh, what do I mean? Well, active, here's an example of active. The president signed the executive order. All right. That is active voice. Passive is the executive order was signed by the president. Or even worse, the executive order was signed and we don't even know who signed it, all right? Active is better than passive. That's certainly true with stories. Because if it's active, we see it happening. If it's passive, and we don't get a strong action verb, often we're not seeing the movement. We're not actually seeing something happen. Everything is static. So, again, this is Grammar 101 but active is better than passive. Even beyond that though, think action, um, motion in the way that you describe things. People want a story to move. They want things to be happening. And so as you're thinking about describing, you're, th you're using verbs, you're using uh, those words, uh, describe action. 
Make sure that things are happening. Because if you sit in one place for too long, then people lose attention. They, they don't, if there's no movement, then they're not going to stick with you. So use action verbs. Also use colorful adjectives. Good is not a good adjective. You guys are supposed to laugh more from that. But you had it in your notes, so I stole my own punchline. Uh, great is not a great adjective. All right, Those are ambiguous. They're not colorful. They're not expressive. So good can mean delicious. It can mean enjoyable. It can mean exemplary. It can mean skilled. It can mean useful. And a hundred other things. So pick the other word that better describes what you're actually talking about. A great can mean awe-inspiring. It can mean gigantic. It can mean moving. It can mean legendary. So pick one of those words instead. Something that is, that again, better pinpoints the idea. Look for adjectives that clearly and specifically express your meaning. In the story of the Good Samaritan, the man is left half dead. That is very descriptive. We have no question about his condition. He's not just hurt. He's not just injured. He's not just in bad shape. He's half dead. And just like that, we, we know what's going on. Um, we understand his situation. So think about those more expressive, colorful ways to express things. Uh, sometimes unusual descriptions can be helpful. Now, you don't want to be distracting, but... Saying someone has a voice like sandpaper is more evocative than saying that they have a rough voice. All right? So making some of those unusual comparisons, thinking about ways to say things that people don't say all the time um, can be a way to really draw people into those details. Again, don't go overboard with it. Um, don't obsess about it. But think about how you can use colorful, expressive adjectives. I'm going to be honest with you, I use a thesaurus all the time when I'm preparing a story. Um, now, I don't actually use a thesaurus. I use the thesaurus, but um, thesaurus.com, I think it is, that I use quite a bit. Um, looking for those other words that better describe the idea that I'm going for. So give some attention and some thought to that. But even as you're in the midst of telling a story, be thinking, um, action verbs, colorful adjectives. How can I describe things in those, way, those ways? How can I make it come alive uh, with those types of words? So to recap where we're at at this point, uh, introduce me to the people, help them come alive, give me a glimpse of the setting, and make strategic use of detail. But we need to keep it moving, so we're going to move on to keep it moving. Now next week we're going to talk about pacing. And so I'm not going to take a lot of time with this this week. Um, Developing characters, giving me a setting, describing details, those are things that are all good in their place, but don't get stuck on any of those things because nothing kills a story like no movement. Things need to happen. Things need to move. Details are one of the best ways to make a story come to life, but they're also one of the best ways to kill a story if you get stuck on them. And so don't talk too long. Keep it short. Keep it moving. Um... Again, we'll talk about that some more next week when we talk about pacing. 
But remember, Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan in 181 words. Um, to give you a comparison, my manuscript for tonight, which I'm not going to say every word in it, is over 5,000. All right? 181 words, story of the Good Samaritan, he's done. Now, that's English words, not Greek words. Um, but you get the idea. It's a short story. If you don't need to keep talking, then stop talking. It's better to finish a story leaving people wanting more than for them to start wondering when you're going to shut your mouth. All right? So keep it moving. Make me think. A good story is going to engage the imagination, but it's also going to make uh, your hearers think. Uh, there's an interesting passage in Luke 8, and we talked about this in my Sunday school class on Sunday. But Jesus tells the parable there of the sower, the seed, and the four types of soil. And there's a whole crowd of people who hear that parable. He finishes the parable and says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And then the disciples afterwards come up to him and they ask, What might this parable be? In other words, explain to us what you're talking about. What, what was this sower and this seed and these, this soil? What does that mean? Jesus answers, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. Then he goes on to tell them the meaning of the parable. So we, we wonder, what's up with this? Is Jesus trying to be deceptive? Is he trying to hide the truth from people? That doesn't sound like what Jesus would be doing. Now, I don't know the whole answer to that, to be honest with you. But I think part of it is that Jesus wanted people to seek out the truth. He wanted them to be active listeners, not passive listeners. When somebody lays it all out for us, we can be really passive when we're listening to them. All right? Because we don't have to do any work. But often the most effective communicators are people who we can't keep up with them if we don't engage our minds the whole time. We've got to engage with what they're saying. We've got to be putting pieces together. Jesus told these parables, and anyone who was not engaged and thinking and caring and searching for the meaning was going to miss it. In fact, the disciples had to come up to Jesus and ask him for an explanation. They had to really invest in what he was sharing to get to the truth. So, when we tell stories, if people are really going to engage, then we need to make them think. We need to make them have to, to, to ask questions, search for answers in our story. So, how do you engage the minds of your listeners that way? Well... First of all, give me a promise. Um, for me to care about your story at the end, I probably need to have cared about it from the beginning. So start your story with a promise. What I mean by that is let me know that something is coming. Let me know that there is something that you're not telling me yet that I need to learn. Let me know that there's something you're holding back from me. From the beginning. And if you, 
if you do that, if you present me with a lock, then I'm going to be searching for the key throughout the story. If I know there's something that I ought to want to know, then I'm going to pay attention, I'm going to listen, I'm going to be engaged. So if you start a story and you say, there was this guy, and then he did this, and then he said this, and then this thing happened, I'm going to be asking in my mind. Um, if I'm rude, I'm just going to say it straight from my mouth. Why should I care? This happened to this guy, and then he said this. What, what, is, what does that have to do with me? Why should I care about that? But if you let me know from the beginning this guy is about to face a life-changing decision, then I'm going to be wondering, what is the decision that he has to make? Which choice is he going to make? Which direction is his life going to take? And even though I didn't care about this guy just a minute ago, now I care because I want to know the answer. I want to know what the key is that unlocks that. I want to know the fulfillment of this promise you're making me at the beginning of the story. So use, use this, this power. Give me a promise from the beginning. Let me know there's something that need, needs to be resolved. There's a mystery that needs to be solved. Or there's uh, a question that needs an answer. Um, this is a little bit of a silly example, but my kids like Blue's Clues. Now, I'm not talking about the new Blue's Clues. I'm talking about classic Blue's Clues with Steve. All right, Steve oh, okay. is the best, okay? All right? I am willing to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with anyone who wants to argue about the fact that Steve is the best. But um, Blue's Clues, children's show, in case you didn't know that, is completely built on this premise. Very beginning of every episode, we find out that we're going to play Blue's Clues. And Blue's Clues is where you search for these clues, and you've got to find three clues, and you put them together, to find the answer to a question. Blue has the answer, but she's holding out on us until we find all three clues, put them together, we find the answer, the episode's over. Starts with a promise, we get the answer, the story's over. Now, you, it might be a silly example, but that's the entire premise for the show, and it was a premise that carried it quite a ways, and even saw it revived recently. There is power to this idea, beginning with the promise, making me hold out until the end, and then the story wraps up. So give me a promise. Also keep me asking questions. There are so many stories, so many movies and books that are only successful because the one who's listening or reading or watching is asking a simple question. What's going to happen next? And that question keeps people engaged all the way through. Simple question, but that's what keeps them, keeps them there, keeps them connected. That's the power of that promise I talked about. But this can also take a bunch of other forms as well. So raise these questions in the story and then answer them. And then you raise another question and you answer it. Um, and you'll notice in any story that's any length at all, um, whether it's a book or a movie or just a story somebody's telling, there's going to be multiple times where this question arises and then it's answered. And then another question until finally there's the complete resolution. Uh, one example, and again, I'm a fan of Charles Dickens, um, but I think that the book Great Expectations is a great example of this. Um, there's this big question. Really the big question is, 
what sort of man is Pip going to grow up to be? That's really the big question. But there are all these other small que smaller questions, like who is it that is giving him this money that's allowing him to live the life that he's living? And maddeningly, to many people who read that book, uh, one of those questions goes unanswered even at the end. What is or is not going to happen between Pip and Estella? And it drives people crazy that Charles Dickens did not answer that question. But he keeps you holding out all the way to the end. And those questions pull you through that story all the way. So, you, um, every time, well, I'll just move on. So this can be applied for sure to the stories that you tell. Uh, could be personal stories, stories from history, even stories from the Bible. Ask these questions and then answer them. But keep your audience asking those questions through the story. Alright, don't insult my intelligence. As a storyteller, you should let your hearers figure some stuff out all on their own. Uh, let your hearers put some of the pieces together. A simple example is the Bible account of Peter's denial of Jesus. We watch him deny Jesus three times, and then the Bible simply says, And Peter remembered the word of Jesus which said unto him, Before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. It doesn't have to say that Peter counted Oh, three times. And he realized. Doesn't have to. It doesn't say he wept bitterly because he had denied the Lord. They're simple pieces for us to put together, but we understand what's going on. And because we get to put those pieces together, it draws us in more. If you explain everything, it insults the intelligence of your hearers. And it doesn't make them work. And it doesn't really engage their mind putting those pieces together, figuring out what's going on. Um, this is one of those things that, that really uh, drives mystery stories. Um, a well-written mystery is going to make the readers put some of the pieces together themselves before the resolution. I'm going to skip over. I had a simple um, example, but I need to keep moving, so... All right, help me understand. This is last, but it's an important reminder. If people don't understand what you're talking about, you're not being an effective communicator. Now, people are pretty smart, so they'll be able to figure a lot of stuff out. But don't assume that they know about everything you know about. For example, if you're telling a story about your experience as a deep sea diver, using jargon, and acting like I understand what that experience feels like is going to distance me from the story instead of drawing me in. It's going to say, this is something happening over here, and I'm over here. Whereas if I understand what you're talking about, and you can draw me in to, to really be able to see and experience that, then I'm there with you. So... People do like to learn, so some explanation can be a good thing. Explaining details, explaining things that people might not understand. Again, don't act like people are dumb, 
but if you're talking about deep sea diving, I would need a little bit of explanation, okay? I don't have a bit of experience with that. And so give me just enough to help me feel like I know what you're talking about. Connect your story to what I do know, what I have experienced. What is it like to deep sea dive? Does it feel or look like something I maybe have experienced? What can you connect it to? How can it be something that I'll, I'll understand? And so make sure that people understand what you're talking about. Um, jargon is one of the easiest ways to lose people and make them feel disconnected and not care. You know, I think that's why Jesus so often used such everyday examples in his teaching and in his parables. Uh, the things that he talked about were things that the people in his day would have easily understood and connected with. And again, that's why the normal everyday experiences can sometimes make much better stories than jaw-dropping once-in-a-lifetime events. Because if I tell you about the time that I did something that there's no way that any of you have ever done before, or experienced something that is just, you know, the time I got struck by lightning. I've never been struck by lightning. But if I was telling you about a time I got struck by lightning, you're not going to be able to connect with that. I'm going to have to give you a lot of explanation to try to make you feel like you have any connection to that story. So, to recap very quickly, make your story dynamic with vibrant characters, just enough setting, key details, continuing action, and stuff that engages my mind. Now, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I know we've covered a lot tonight, um, but there's a lot more that could be said. But the practical advice for how to tell stories is, after all, just part of this class. And so we haven't gone as deep as we could have, um, but we are taking these weeks to talk about the practical side of how to tell good stories. We'll have one more week of that next week. We'll talk about telling well-paced stories. And then we'll move into talking about how to take well-told stories and use them in your life to impact people for the Lord. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. We'll be done. You can take note of the homework there. You can do it. You can or not turn it in if you should choose to do that. Um, but uh, if you have questions, like I've always said, reach out. Uh, thank you for your attention. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the vast wisdom that we can draw from the example of Jesus Christ. And uh, even just this simple story we've looked at tonight, such a powerful story. And it's full of lessons, practical lessons, about how we, too, can uh, effectively communicate in this way. Guide us in this, we ask. Help us to take to heart things that are helpful, put aside thoughts and ideas that are unhelpful, and again, just put it all submitted to you for your use and for your glory. We love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. 
May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.